you all keep your Bibles open there to Philippians chapter 4, I want to begin with a question. How many of you are worry warts? I would consider myself probably to be among those who would be in that category. The second sermon that I preached was about 41 years ago this spring. I was 16 years old. They'd asked me to preach. And my best friend, David Phillips, his father was the preacher at a nearby congregation. And we had been best friends for many, many years. He handed me Brother Wendell Winkler's little book, Heart Diseases and Their Cures, that had not been out very long. I read through that book and I came to the one on worry and I thought that would make a real good sermon to preach. So I memorized that section, even the illustrations that Brother Winkler used in that book. And uh, in the illustration was, to worry about things in the past is like trying to put toothpaste back in the tube. And I remember that there were two or three people later on said, I want you to preach that toothpaste sermon that you preached once before. So I, uh, I always think about when I'm going to preach on worry about what was said in that series of lessons because worry is a common problem for us. And some of the most favorite passages I have are those that provide help in facing the challenges of life because life is tough. And we face life, and it's not always easy to deal with the things that are before us. What gives Christians calm resolve in the face of serious challenges? And it's faith in God. Faith is the answer to worry. But for us to study Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, I'd like to focus on three things. I'd like for us to focus on some distinctions between what is real worry and what is a legitimate concern. I want us to talk a little bit about how this can be destructive to our spiritual life, how it can be destructive to our physical life, how it really doesn't help us. And then finally to look at some directions that Paul provides in this wonderful passage in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Let's get started. Am I right or am I wrong when I worry? Is the worry that I have a faithless worry or is it a legitimate concern? Am I, for instance, just fretting over things about which I have no control? Am I fretting over things that are not important? Or am I going through things and trying to make sure I am doing the right thing and thinking about it? Well, let me point out to you. God does not prohibit us from making plans or having a vision about the future. For instance, as I think about what I will do tomorrow or as you think about what you will do tomorrow, and I show some concern about am I doing enough or am I prepared enough? Some of you young people are perhaps going to be taking some finals at school. And someone wringing their hand saying, I'm worried, will I pass this class or not? Or will I pass this test or not? If you, because of legitimate concern, say, I am going to study and I'm going to study hard, that's not wrong. 
Let me give you some passages. In the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 28 through 32, Jesus says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it? Unless after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see begin to mock him and saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation of, and asks for conditions of peace. So likewise... Whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus talked about making plans. And I think as a person begins to embark on something as important as building a house or building some other building, should have some legitimate concern. Will I be able to make the mortgage payment? Will I be able to do what I need to do to take care of my family if I do this? If you're facing a challenge in life, am I going to be able to do this? There's nothing wrong with making plans for the future. In fact, if you go to James chapter 4, beginning with verse 13, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen on tomorrow, for what is your life? It is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will both uh, live and if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But now all you boasting is in arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to good, do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. What James is describing is there's nothing wrong with planning on making a profit, planning on carrying out business. But we ought to say, if the Lord wills recognizing that we're not always in control of all the factors that take place in our life. In Proverbs 20 and verse 4, Solomon simply says, The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. So a person ought to plan. He ought to think about the future and make provisions for it. God also does not prohibit legitimate concern about others or even other brethren. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 28, as Paul talks about all the difficulties he has faced in his life, and he says, Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. The words deep concern there is the same word for anxiety. I am concerned. I have anxiety. There's nothing wrong with a person looking at the Lord's church, and I am certain that the elders here do this. What will take place this month, next month, next year, the next five years, the directions this congregation is going? Will we be faithful to God? Will we grow? Who will perhaps in their spiritual life fall away? And what can we do to try to guard them from falling away? All of these matters are legitimate concern. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I would like to focus your attention on two 
what I call classic passages. Both of these are the ones which I've always used whenever I preached on worry. The first one is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It's a short passage, but it has a very powerful message within it. It says, Now as they happened, they entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Ladies, how many of us, how many look at life and concentrate solely upon the physical, forgetting the spiritual? Jesus, when he addressed Martha, he says, you are anxious, you are worried, you're troubled about many things. Martha was a worry wart. And she was worried about things about which she need not be worried. Now let me focus your attention for just a moment on a second passage. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. A little longer passage, part of the Sermon on the Mount, but one that has some just powerful teachings within it. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not much more value than they? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? And so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, uh, is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself or its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You see, Jesus was dealing with people whose sole concern was their providing for their physical necessities. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to live? And what he points out is, is that God's graciousness has taken care of us throughout our lives. Yes, God expects us to work with the sweat of our brows. Yes, God expects us to work or not eat, but God also expects us to trust Him, to have some faith in Him, 
And I again point out to you exactly what was said to Martha. One thing is needed and Mary has chosen the good part. One thing is needed. You get to verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The same lesson is taught. Put God first and everything else will find its place. When you think about the distinctions, are we trying to face the difficulties of life alone? In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Folks, I wish that I could persuade you that God loves you enough that He's going to take care of you. That doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. Doesn't mean everything will work out every time the way you want it to, but God will take care of you. That brings me to number two, and that is destructive. When I look in the Bible, I see worry associated with some real bad things. You see a person worrying, and what do you see along beside of it? Well, the first thing I think you see is materialism. What would happen? If you lost everything you have right now, your home, your car, your bank account, what if everything that you considered in a material way was just gone? Folks, let me tell you, there's some, there's some folks in Arkansas and Mississippi and Alabama and Tennessee this past week who have lost practically everything. And you know what they walk away with? They walk away understanding those are just things. But Jesus knew that we were concerned and consumed with things. Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, and then verse 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where there neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Dropping down to verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other. He'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Or better, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and materialism. You find worry. These verses precede that wonderful passage of Matthew 6, 25 through 34. We get too attached to our material things. Worry is also associated with faithlessness. That is a lack of trust in God. Let me point out to you that not only does he say twice in Matthew 6, Oh, you of little faith. But I want to focus your attention here to Matthew 8. 26. Then he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? And he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Chapter 14, verse 31, And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Chapter 16, and verse 8, But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. What we find out is, is that Jesus looks and says, Oh, you of little faith, I didn't really trust God. 
to be able to provide everything that I need. And I'm not just talking about physical things. Will God provide for us if we ask? You see, what it does, it's destructive because as Jesus said to Martha, you are, it says she was distracted about with much serving. And Jesus said, you're anxious and troubled about many things. She failed to realize something that was so important because she was worrying so much. She had the Lord in her house. Jesus had come to eat with them, but she was so worried about preparing the meal, she forgot the most important part of it. Sometimes, folks, listen carefully. We can become so focused on our feeding that we forget our family. How many times have you seen people get so upset at holidays? You know why? They forget the family because they're so focused on everything else. Worry can do that to you. It's destructive. Worry can even make us sick. Listen to Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in the heart causes depression. But a good word makes it glad. Depression can be caused by many things. But there is a depression of people who concentrate always looking on the negative side of things. And what Solomon is saying is, if that takes place, what will take place in your heart, what will take place in your mind, is depression. So worry is not good for us. It's destructive. Worry can render us ineffective. We can spend so much time worrying about something, there's no time left for the doing. Or worrying about making a mistake will cause a person never to start. Someone will say, well, I was going to do this, but I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm a little bit worried about this. You go talk to them a little bit later. Well, have you started? No, 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 I'm not started yet. I'm worried maybe we... if you never have any faith, you'll never start anything. You spend so much time worrying about what will never happen. There was a study done several years ago about things that people worry about, and they got people who were the real worry warts. And they asked them to make a list of the things they were worrying about, and then the next week they were supposed to tell how those worries had turned out. The majority of the things that people were worried about never happened at all. They were concerned about things that were never going to take place. I mentioned at the beginning, I'm a little bit of a worry ward. I can remember just getting married and thinking, do I need to bring children into a world in which there's a, a cold war? I can remember as a child in the first and second and third grade of having to do um, drills for nuclear attacks. Do y'all remember that? Having to go out in the hall and bend over as if that would somehow protect you if a nuclear bomb went off. Maybe that instilled fear in the hearts of some of us children at that time. And you think, should I bring children into a world that has that kind of of potential and harm. And you look back now and you think, why was I worried about that? 
Philippians 3 verse 13 says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, he says, I press on. I didn't put verse 14 there. For the upward call of God. Folks, we've got to realize, if we've made mistakes in the past, fix those mistakes. If you've done something to someone, you go and you apologize to them, you say, I'm sorry, you get their forgiveness, and you go on. But we cannot live in the past. We've got to be focused on what we will be doing for the Lord in the future. Which brings me to the passage. The directions that the Lord gives. And here's what he says. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Very briefly, be anxious for nothing is a command. Repent and be baptized is a command. Believe on the Lord Jesus is a command. Do not be anxious is also a command. When you think about God giving a command, though, he always gives us the provisions, the ability to be able to accomplish that. So he says, in everything by prayer and supplication. Listen to Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone who asks, receive. Who seeks, finds. And to him that knocks, it will be opened. What man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. We shouldn't look at God and think God doesn't care. He does care. We shouldn't look at God and think that he doesn't have the ability to give because he does have the ability. What God is looking at from us is a desire to ask for it. Very simply put in 1 John 5.15 And if we know he hears us, Whatever we ask, we know that we have our petitions that we have asked of him. That's pretty powerful. Recognizing that if we ask God by prayer and supplication, he will grant our request. But he said, with thanksgivings. And it's here where a person ought to say, my past, what has it reflected? Does it, do I see God's goodness in my life? And most certainly I think we all do. We say count your many blessings. Colossians 3, verse 15, verse 17. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were also called and into one body and be thankful. Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God called us into one body. We have spiritual blessings. 
that we many times overlook. I can't imagine not being as blessed as I am because I've enjoyed these things all my life. Parents who taught me the truth from a child, others who loved me and encouraged me to be faithful to the Lord, working with good brethren for many, many years in three different congregations. Folks, I've been blessed. God deserves the credit for that. And whatever I do, I need to make sure that I give God the glory through that. The result, he said, is the peace of God that passes all understanding. That means I can't tell you how great it is. I can't put in words so you can understand it. But I can know what it means. In Isaiah 26 and verse 3, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Regardless of come what may, if my trust is in God, I can have peace. Tranquility. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. What that will do is guard my heart, my feelings, my emotions, and my mind, that is my reasoning, my thinking. I, if I allow myself to release all my anxiety because I can trust that I've got a God that cares enough and will do something, there's a peace there that cannot be explained. Everyone faces an uncertain future with all sorts of concerns. Will you and I be able to have enough money to live out our lives in some sort of peace? Will you and I be able to grow up in or continue to live in a country where we're able to express our devotion to God without fear of man? Will you and I enjoy some measure of health? Those are questions I can't always answer. But the truth is, we serve a God who holds the future in His hands. And God is more powerful than any political party. God is more powerful than any movement. God is more powerful than any set of nations and their financial power. He holds the future in His hands. And God expects us to do what we can to enjoy that better future. And that's where... We really come to the end of this lesson, and that is, are you worried about your salvation? Are you worried about, will I get to go to heaven when I die? You can remove that worry tonight. If you're not a Christian, you come and you express that faith in Christ, you repent of your sins, you are baptized you can know that when you come up out of that water, all your sins are forgiven, and you can lay your head on your pillow tonight and says, saying in your mind, it doesn't matter what comes. If you're a Christian and you're looking and you see sin in your life and you're worried about everything else that goes along with that, you can resolve that. 
It may take a little bit of correction on your part, but that's just so small compared to the joy of forgiveness. When we sing this invitation song, if you need to respond, you need to do it. So will you come as we stand inside?